the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Mark. What they don't understand is it's not about doing things repetitively for the sake of that's the way we've always done it. Jesus says the real issue is not hygiene, it's holiness. And holiness at the root issue is the heart. It's internal, not external. It's internal, not external. Because at the end of the day, Jesus says, whatever goes in a man is going to end up coming out. You're going to digest it and, and it's going to end up going through your body. But he says the heart issue is really where it needs to be dealt with. Your actions reveal your heart. As Pastor Gary will explain in today's message, the things you do, the stuff you eat or drink, and the words you say don't really matter as much as you might think. It's the motives of your heart behind them. If you're doing things with complete disregard for how it affects someone else, even if it's completely harmless in every other way, it still can be sinful if you knowingly are hurting others. If your heart desires to serve God, then your actions will generally reflect that. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Mark, chapter 6, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We have to discipline ourselves and practice forgiveness and extend what we ourselves have received because it is so deadly in many different ways. And, you know, we see that here literally in this story. It, it, it caused the death of somebody, John the Baptist. And a very, very tragic story, very tragic ending to his life. Very sick story, really. You know, here, here Herod is giving this big dinner party and you know, half his dinner guests are, are now, you know, smashed. And, and, and he himself probably has had too much to drink. And he makes his promise without consider. You know, there's a lot of good points in this story here, folks. He makes his prom- First of all, you know, don't, don't get yourself three sheets to a wind at a dinner party. That's one good point. But, but don't make promises that you can't keep. I mean, he promised. Why don't you just, here, Herodias' daughter, she's unnamed in the story. Josephus, the historian, says her name was Salome, but we don't know for sure. Salome, whatever your name is, why don't you dance one up for my dinner guests? And she's dancing it up, and as a reward, he promises her, what, up to half his kingdom? Are you kidding me? For one dance? You're going to give up half your kingdom? And now, when she dances so well, and she asks for the head of John the Baptist, Herod has to oblige. He has to oblige in front of all his dinner guests. And so he has John the Baptist beheaded. All because, really, one person nursed a grudge, passed it on to her daughter. Her daughter made the request. Herod granted it. John the Baptist got beheaded. 
May we check our own bitterness and our own resentment and grudges in our own hearts. And may we ask the Lord for his help to forgive as he has forgiven us. Amen. Amen. As we read on here, so when we come now to the feeding of the 5,000, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Many different miracles that are recorded, but this is the only one that appears in all four. Feeding of the 5,000, again, as many of you know, this is more like the feeding of ten or 15,000, because as we are going to find at the end of the story, they only counted the men in the day and not women and children also. So when you include them, it's, it's at least ten or 15,000 perhaps. And it says this in verse 30, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So, please notice, he began teaching them many things. Now, I ask you to notice that because I want you to notice the order. He is going to teach them, then he's going to meet their physical needs. And sometimes I I think it's very trendy uh, in our culture, again, absent a biblical worldview, for people to get all hyped up about humanitarian needs. And humanitarian needs are important. They're good. Uh, but, But for many people who don't know Christ, they get a sense, I'm convinced, of a certain satisfaction and self-worth through all their various humanitarian efforts. I won't uh, name Angelina and Brad, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, it's just this idea is if we do this, we bring clean water here and we build homes there. And, and that's nice. That's wonderful. But you see, those same people who get clean water and have houses built, if they don't get the whole package, they're only going to have their felt needs met and never their spiritual needs. So that's where we as Christians, as the church, have to bridge humanitarian needs with the good news of the gospel. And it should be in the order of gospel and humanitarian needs. Because if you feed someone or give somebody clean water or put a roof over their house and don't give them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and pray and hope and believe that they will get saved, then they're going to have their felt needs met and still go to hell. Does everybody understand this? And this is, this is so vital. And Jesus sets this order here. He's going to first teach them. He's going to give them the good news. Then he's also going to, in addition, notice verse, verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. <laughs> notice their gift of compassion and mercy here. Verse 36, send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. There's, there's a good KFC around the corner. Just send them away, Jesus, and Chick-fil-A, maybe I should say, and, uh, and, and just go on their merry way. What a bunch of guys with mercy here. Well, verse 37, but he answered, you give them something to eat. You do something about this. And they said to him, well, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five. And two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. 
taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So here we have this picture of 5,000. How many does that represent? 10,000, 15,000, however many. And Jesus takes five loaves, two fish. This is obviously a miracle here. It's the miracle of multiplying these miraculously, the bread and the fish. And, uh, and it just, as they keep reaching into the baskets to get more fish, it just keeps uh, multiplying. And so they're distributing all this. And then I love how it says here that after everybody was well fed, then the disciples went around and gathered up scraps, leftovers, and there were 12 basketfuls. Does anybody see the, the comedy in that? There's, there's 12 apostles, and they didn't really believe to begin with, so Jesus is going to give them all a doggy bag. Isn't that great? He's like, you know, you guys don't get this, so here's what we're going to do. Why don't you go around and clean up what's left over? And the leftover, they each get a basketful themselves. Um, they're carrying it around like, okay, all right, I guess we've learned. And... Uh, I'm sure perhaps Jesus was not as cynical as I sometimes read it out to be here, but nevertheless, I get a chuckle out of thinking of each disciple dragging along their own basketful of broken pieces. Verse 45 says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. I emphasize that word made because uh, I don't think they wanted to go, and he wants to, he wants to go off to a place uh, by himself alone. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them, ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. I mean, after you've just ministered to thousands of people, uh, you want to get alone, you want to pray, and that's what Jesus does here. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Now, so here's a scene. Jesus finishes this long day of ministry, sends them in a boat. You guys go off. I I need some time alone to pray. And he goes up uh, quietly to a mountainside where he prays. And he sees them from the vantage point of the mountainside. And I often wonder when we're in Israel if this might have been. He's up on Mount Arbel, which is a great overlook where I take our groups and we go there. And you can see the whole Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is only 12 miles long and 8 miles wide. And so he's, you know, he's got this bird's eye view from some vantage point there. And he's looking out and he sees them. A storm's coming and, and the wind is buffeting and they're straining at the oars. And uh, Jesus then goes out and he walks on the water, and it says it's about the fourth watch. Now, that is Roman terminology for between, the fourth watch on the Roman clock was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they've been straining all night long to get across the Sea of Galilee. Between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus then walks out on the lake. Now, it, it still is You know, maybe it was the latter part of the fourth watch. So maybe it was closer to 6 a.m. and and sunlight was, you know, barely creeping up uh, uh, over the Golan Heights there. But uh, or maybe it was a storm and there was lightning. We don't know how they were able to see him. If it can't be too dark, 
There has to be some amount of light here or lightning. And they first think that, that he's a ghost. Again, it's another miracle. He's walking on the water. He's defying the, the, the laws of nature. And he is walking on water. They think that he's a ghost. So they're terrified. They're, they're crying. And immediately it says, he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They still had not gotten the previous story. Their hearts were hardened. And so guess what? Sometimes storms come for maturation to mature us. Sometimes they come for direction because, you know, a difficulty will come into our life to kind of redirect our paths according to what God wants. And sometimes they come for correction, maturation, direction, or correction. Generally, the different storms that come in our life are for one of those three reasons. And for them, in this case, it's correction because they're still not getting the full power of who Jesus is, even after seeing this miracle of the loaves. And so now Jesus is going to demonstrate his divinity in even a different way by walking on water so they would understand that he defies even the laws of nature because he is God of nature as well. And And here they are seeing this. He climbs into the boat. And it says in verse 53 that when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran through that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Let's read into chapter 7. And the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, also known as scribes, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean. Circle that word unclean. It's going to appear seven times in this section here. Eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition, circle that word, that appears six times in this section, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Jesus is going to quote from Isaiah, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. This is the only time in Mark's gospel the word hypocrite is used. When he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, circle that word now, that word appears three times in this section, but their hearts are far from me, they worship me in vain, their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus then goes on to say, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Let me just read through this section, and then I'll come back and comment. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. 
And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside of man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now, this is kind of funny, I think, in verse 17. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked them. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Amen. Praise God. That means pork, shrimp, crab. Amen. And he went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts... Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Okay, so your attention. So what Jesus is saying is this. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were more concerned about the external than they were the internal. They were all concerned about the traditions. They were concerned about cleanliness, hygiene but not holiness in the heart. And so Jesus was trying to help them understand that a lot of what they practice is based on the traditions of men, not the commands of God. And he says to them, in fact, you even use the commands of God very conveniently to justify what you want to do. For example, and Jesus points out one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. And he says, this is what you're supposed to do. And so in that day, especially, and we should continue to be mindful of this to help take care of our parents, especially as they age. And so what what uh, what they would typically do was to take care of and provide for their aging parents, but they had this little loophole where the Pharisees and teachers of the law said, but you know what? I was going to help my parents with this money, but instead I should devote this to God and God wants all of this. And if I give all of this and I don't have anything to give uh, to help my parents. And Jesus says, you know, it's so convenient for you to always be using the commands of God to justify what you want to do. But then when you don't want to do it, you have other excuses and other reasons. And so he's pointing out the fact that they have two things that are wrong. One is they're all bent out of shape about the traditions of men. And secondly, they are using the commandments of God out of convenience and not out of conviction. And these are two very important things to understand. First of all, the whole traditions of men. There's nothing wrong with traditions. You know, we just come off of the Christmas season and... Maybe some of you had have wonderful family traditions that you like to do every year, and there's certain traditions that are just fun in your family. Not, nothing wrong with traditions. When it comes to the church, though, when it comes to your personal spiritual relationship with the Lord, the problem with traditions is that when tradition becomes religion, it's when, and listen, the worst thing to ever say about why you do something or don't do something is because that's the way we've always done it. That is the absolute word. When it comes to your relationship with Christ and, and, and the way that the church functions overall, the worst thing to say about why we do or don't do something is because that's the way we've always done it. Now, I heard this funny thing, and I've shared this before over the years, but I always am reminded of this whenever I come to this passage. So there's a story of this mom who's putting in a roast in the oven. And, uh, and, her, and her younger girl is watching mom make this roast and get it ready to go in the oven. And she notices, the girl notices, that mom always lops off both ends of this, of this roast before she puts it in the pan and puts it into the oven. 
And so the little girl asked, Mom, you know, I notice every time you make a roast, you cut off both ends of the roast before you pop it in the oven. Why do you do that? Mom says, you know, I I don't even really know. I've just been doing it all these years. I learned it from my mom, and I think it makes the roast juicier. And so uh, the mom says, why don't you go ask your grandma, because that's where I learned it from. So the little girl goes to grandma and says, Grandma, why is it that, that you chop off, you lop off both ends of the roast before you put the roast in the oven? And grandma says, you know, sweetie, I don't really know. I've just been doing it all my life. I think it makes the, the pot roast juicier. Why don't you go ask your great-grandma? She's here, too. And so the little girl says, all right. So she goes over to great-grandma. She says, great-grandma. Great-grandma goes, huh? She says to her, listen, why is it that mom and grandma both lop off the roast before they put it in the oven? Mom and grandma say it makes it juicier. Great-grandma says, oh, my, no, little girly. I only did that all those years because I never had a pan big enough. That was the reason she's doing it. But then her daughter learned that we got to do this. And then her daughter, we got to do this. And they didn't even know why they were doing it. Just because they saw somebody doing it. And it was passed down. And, and that's, that's a killer, you know. And so when, if somebody says to me, why do we sing Christmas carols that aren't the traditional way? They're kind of jazzed up a little bit. The root of that question is, not that I got that. <laughs> but the root of that question is, that's not the way we were supposed to do it. We've always done it a certain way. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But it's okay every once in a while to just jazz some things up. <laughs> to make our lives just a little bit less constantly traditional. It's okay. It's okay. Now, most of us get comfortable in tradition because there's safety and there's familiarity in that. And I totally get that. But the problem is that sometimes that can lead to, it can translate into other areas of our life with the Lord, where now we're just kind of stuck in a pattern. We're just stuck in a pattern. And we do it because we've always done it that way. And these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they're coming unglued at Jesus because he's not washing his hands. And what they don't understand is it's not about doing things repetitively for the sake of that's the way we've always done it. Jesus says the real issue is not hygiene, it's holiness. And holiness at the root issue is the heart. It's internal, not external. It's internal, not external. Because at the end of the day, Jesus says, whatever goes in a man is going to end up coming out. You're going to digest it and, and it's going to end up going through your body. But he says the heart issue is really where it needs to be dealt with. Because then Jesus makes this list here at the end of this section. Because out of a man's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. In other words, you can't, you can't scrub your body enough and make those issues go away. Because those issues, like all sin issues, emanate first in the heart. So deal with the heart, and then you deal with the behavior. It's the heart, and then behavior follows. And so Jesus is challenging even us today. It's not just try to, let me, let me be careful how I say this. There, there is something good and important about just plain and simple discipline in our lives. But you, you can't just discipline behavior into conformity without dealing with heart issues. Because you can strive all day long to, I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. And again, there's a, place, there's a place for just disciplining ourselves to make decisions. I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. There's a place for that. But it's got to first 
be the heart issue because if we can get the heart right before God, then behavior follows. That's how it works. Sometimes people spend so much time, I'm going to deal with my behavior, and they don't really focus on the heart issues with the Lord, and so they strain and struggle to get behavior under submission when what we really need to to do is get the heart under the submission of the Holy Spirit, and then behavior follows. It's the heart issue. It's the heart issue. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Mark on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can also download our mobile app. Find the On The Go link under the Teachings tab. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Cornerstoneconnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. We'd love to meet you, but if you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our 11.45 a.m. service also offers interpreting for those who speak Spanish. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, we'd be honored to talk with you. Send us an email at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for joining us to study the book of Mark. We hope you'll tune in again here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not